the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. It's Wednesday. Hello. Hello. Fine. Yeah. I feel like saying hello is redundant for me. They know I'm here. You've just introduced me. Well, welcome to our Wednesday episode, which is news and reviews, where we talk news and, and reviews. I really need a snappier tagline than that. Just is what I've realised. Where we review the news. No. No. Terrible. No. <laughs> Kill me now. <laughs> I hate myself. Uh, hello, everyone. Though uh, big, big movies this week. Uh, yeah, we're reviewing. Is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so like, no, yeah. Today we'll be reviewing Denial. We'll be reviewing Christine and Trainspotting Two. Or T Two Trainspotting is the correct term. I think you'll find it's called Trainspotting Two Judgment Day. Okay. Yes. You're you're in one of those moods tonight. Uh, I told you I'm very tired. I'm very tired. You use that excuse on multiple podcasts, I, yeah, and I, no one notices the difference. Basically, it's either I'm tired or I'm ill, or I've not woken up yet. I've not woken up yet. There's only three excuses, but I will use them all. <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Uh, let's talk a bit of news first. Um, so, first bit of news: that I... you're like a shit riddle of the Sphinx, like. <laughs> What crawls on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and then three legs at night? Except this, what is not woken up in the morning, <laughs> ill during the daytime, and then tired at night? Andy Hughes. Uh, what's the answer to that riddle? Man. Four legs. Because he's on all fours as a baby crawling. Okay. Two in the afternoon, meaning middle age, and, you know, from... You yeah. Know, and then in old age, he's using a stick to walk. Not necessarily. And also Zimmer frames are a thing now, so you'd say, and, and then grows an extra <laughs> four legs and then turns into the human centipede. Is in a chair. Um, yeah, so, you know, not strictly. Sprightly d- till death. Right. What about those sprightly till death? Look, look, Riddle of the Sphinx, mate. Don't know. Stupid Sphinx. I may have just attributed it to the Sphinx. I don't know. <laughs> um... Let's talk news then. It might just be a general riddle. First bit of news. High up in the army. General riddle. Father of Tom. I don't like it. Um, so Marvel have come out yeah. this week and said... It's a very proud moment for their fat parents, I'm sure. This has been a silly introduction. Yeah. Um, they've come out this week and announced that they're partnering with Square Enix and some other game studios to create... Some kind of Avengers what? game. Um, uh, is it Mamorugub? Massively multiplayer online role playing game. I'm surprised you didn't know that. You've been learning terms, haven't you? Again. Yes, <laughs> I've done my research. <laughs> if it was a Mamorug, I would play it. Well, there's no real details on what it is. Like the trailer came out this week, and it's um, a bunch of game studios. So it's like. Square Enix were the guys who did Final Fantasy. Then there's the guys who did the new Tomb Raider games as well. And there's another one in there as well. I lots of research was Just done. choose one. Um, but no, they're really great studios. And seeing them come together is going to be great. Um, Crystal Dynamics might be one, but I might be making one up. Um, Shout out to the boys at CD. <laughs> is it spelt with a K? No, I think it is C. Cool. I don't know. But at the end it says, more information will be coming out on this in 2018. So what, I mean... So we've got, no that trailer you keep seeing at the beginning of yeah, YouTube videos, this is, that's what you've got for a year. Look, I just want to see 
the X Factor hopefuls humiliate themselves in front of Simon Cowell. <laughs> We've watched what, so many why? X Factor videos. Because I love laughing at other people's pain because it makes me forget mine temporarily. <laughs> like, so much. Like, we could have been watching actual films, but instead we've just watched so many people fail on the X Factor. You know how recently... Like, 20-minute videos. Recently, we've we've said, hey, the News and Reviews episode are really good because they're, they're our sort of business-like episodes, and then the weekend ones where we have more fun and mess about a bit. Yeah. This is... I'm guessing nine minutes in now, and we have just messed about. We've we've got a bit I, of news out of the I've way. Tried. All right. Okay. What what it could be? Yes. Well, there's no real indication of what this game is, but what it could be is there was a originally like a first person. I think it was like a first person game where you could play as Hulk and Thor and a couple of other characters. Um, so it could be them that was shut down, and I think it was shut down when Disney bought Marvel yeah. potentially. Um. But it could be that game being resurfaced and repackaged and you know created on a bigger extent. But there's no real information. But mm. I'm interested because it, you know Marvel have already dominated movies. What what are they? Because the DC games have probably been better at the moment. I don't know that for a fact. Like, I liked Marvel Ultimate Alliance one and two. It's a great kind of party game. Like when you got multiple people. Um, but you know then you get the Batman games that just knocked it out of the park. Really, apart from the third one's a bit. Mm. Because there's issues with that game. Tell me about it, man. Batmobile. Uh, um, but Injustice was fun. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed Injustice. It you, was the best. You know no idea what it is. I'm not going to play this game even when it does come out in 20, whenever the fuck it is. <laughs> you know why? Why? It isn't based on a horror movie, is it? And uh, if you want more games based on horror movies, you can check out our episode from last Sunday uh, on our feeds. In-game podcast promotion. In-game? Any other news? Oscars. Oscars nominations happened. We don't have time to discuss that now. Uh, We've wasted too much talking about talking anything, about our own personal YouTube watching. Anything you think was missing from the Oscars? Loads, mate, but let's not get bogged down in that now. Like, why was Sing Street not nominated for Best Original Song? I mean, why was Sing Street not nominated for Best Film? Like, Who knows? Seriously. Best Original Song, it should have been, had at least Drive It Like You Stole It is fantastic yeah. and should have been in that film. But unfortunately... But no, it wasn't in that film. It should have been in the Oscars. It should have been in that film. Well, John Carney did <laughs> oh. listen to you on that one. He put it in the film. I'm struggling. Do you want to record it tomorrow instead? No, we got okay, this. We're, we're 12 minutes in. We're going to persevere. I will cut this down to two and a half seconds. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Anyway, so yes. If you've um, stuck with us this far, thank you. We've got some really interesting opinions God. on reviews. If you're drawn in by the title of the fact that we're reviewing T2 Train Spotting, like that's that's a great lead in. They'll have switched off by this point. I'll put a disclaimer on the uh, description. I'll just be like, by the way, guys, it is good after a bit. <laughs> just let them go for a bit. Just let them talk about watching people fail. Yes, yeah, so um, th- there's lots of omissions. I'm sure we may well cover that at some other point in time. but um, maybe, Probably not. Maybe closer to the ceremony, who knows. Or maybe when we get Paul over again, he, he enjoys discussing these things with us. Anyway, so um, uh, that's the news this week, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah say that, say there, there were other bits of news, but... They weren't important enough. Mm. It was just James Cameron bitching about how his films are never nominated for the Oscars. Except yeah. he did win for And him complaining about something. sequels despite making Avatar two, three and four. Yeah. James Cameron. And he made T two train spotting. Yeah. Judgment Day. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get into the reviews then. 
Okay. What do you want to start with? Let's start with the big one. T2 train spotting. 21 years. Sadly, it missed out on being 20 years after, which is what they were after in the first place. Uh, 21 years after the original comes Danny Boyle's follow-up to his seminal work. Yeah, it was a, it was part of the cultural zeitgeist. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. You don't like me. <laughs> I'm listening to you. <laughs> Uh, I'm so listening. This is my listening face from the from the same team who brought you Train Spotting. So writer, director, original actors, and I believe the producers are pretty much all the same as well. Uh, comes the sequel to basically serve as a catch up, a follow up to the events of uh, the first film. But you know, you see what happened in the intervening twenty years. First of all, there was huge risk. Uh, attached to this, I think. Absolutely. I think the 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 risk being number one, Danny Boyle doesn't make sequels because he because the films he chooses to make are so singular mm. that there's not ever a necessity to go back, and well, there's the, no real reason to go back to his. The film. only real sequel to one of his films is Twenty Eight Weeks Later, but he didn't direct. Yes, that. he didn't direct that. So it's it's a case of going right. So he's coming back for a sequel, which is something he doesn't do. Mm. He's coming back to a franchise, uh, a property that is loved by millions of people worldwide and became such an important part of what was going on in the late 90s. In the, such in an important Britain. poster for student dorms all around the country. Yeah, but even from day one it was an important poster for student dorms and has remained so for 20 years. That's impressive in itself. So I think you know the, the risk that is carried with the idea behind this film is huge. Uh-huh. And it was about whether he was able to pull it off and whether the whole team were able yeah, to pull it off. Yeah, and that's the worry. That's the test it. of the film. Can it, can it grab you in the same way that the first one did? Can it encapsulate some of the magic and the feelings of that first film? And the visceral nature of that first film as well. So for you, you, you only watched Trainspotting like last the week, week before we saw this anyway, didn't you, for the first yeah, time? Yeah. So what did you feel about T2? I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Like I think it helped having everything so fresh. Yeah, definitely in mind. Um, helps having but a refresher course. I, think. I also feel it's a bit of a different beast to what Trainspotting is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still the kind of same core values there, but I think there are really off-putting and twisted imagery in that first film. You know, we're talking about when he goes into the toilet and things like that, and the baby on the ceiling. There's this really kind of kind of horror in imagery in that first one. I don't think you get as much of that this time. No. But I think it's kind of a different story in its own mind. So that's reflecting the, this the is, story of what you're seeing anyway, I think. This story is all about, for me, it's all about redemption. It's about redemption and memory and trying to rekindle the past. And it's all about th- that whole motif of memory. Um, and there's a really nice thing in it where... Um, Daddy Boyle really plays on that mm. um, in the way he shoots it. It's just really nice thing. And I really didn't understand it at first, which was when at the end of some scenes it kind of freezes for a couple mm. of seconds. And it, I really didn't understand what he was doing. But as it went on, I could be reading into it all wrong, but what I realised was they seem to be the images that when you look back at moments, those are what you remember. They're like kind of reflections of the past. Mm. Um, and it kind of just encapsulated this whole idea that, you know, this is Renton going back to a place that, let's be honest, was nothing but misery for him. You know, mm. it was not a good place for him to be in. And really, should he be going back? Um, but then rekindling with these people that we know so well from the first film, um, 
No, I thought it was done really incredibly well. Mm. Really, I really think, well. Um, special mention goes to Ewan Bremner playing Spud in this film. Yeah, Spud is... Because he's essentially the central character of this film. Everything revolves around his character mm. and what he's doing within the film. And yes, you know, Renton's the person you might spend the most time with. But Spud's sort of at the heart of it all, making every single element of it tick. Yeah. And he's got his fingers in all the pies and he's sort of, you know, you, you see him cropping up and he plays important parts throughout the film. And it's great to see him have his moment to shine as sort of um, the underdog, as as the one from the group who never really was able to get himself together and yet has been able to, in this film, play a very central role in, mm-hmm. in the events. Um, you know, it's... It's it's a film that does talk about our relationship with the past and whether the things are as good as we remember them or if, you know, you can go back and make amends for things that you have done or didn't want to do and be forgiven for those. And, yeah. I, you know, I think it does a really great job of that. I think um, it captures the magic of the original in a new way. You know, it tells a very different mm-hmm. story. And I think that's important because these characters are middle-aged now. These characters are very much new men yeah they're not boys they're men and you know it's it's the kind of thing where you think these are these are very adult themes but in a different way to the adult themes of the first one yeah it's not about sex and drugs anymore necessarily it's about what it means to be 20 years down the line and reevaluating your life and working out has it gone wrong Hmm. and if so where and it's that idea of nostalgia as well isn't it of looking back at the things gone by and thinking strongly about was that as fun as I remember it? And yeah. there's, there's, you know, mentions to things like rose tinted glasses and things like that. Of, mm. You know, you're looking back at things uh, because you haven't been here. Yeah. Um, and it was quite funny. We came out and um, we were saying, um, well, the first one, first film you came out of it in UN, um, the first one made heroin look fun but devastating at the same time. Mm. You're like, oh, I'd like to try heroin, but I never want to try heroin. Uh, this one I came out and I was like, I really want to rekindle friendship with some people I haven't mm. seen in a long time, but at the same time, I don't want to see anyone. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the one thing I really wanted to point out was the soundtrack to this is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, as the first one was as well, I think. Yeah. And so I'm from music, a jukebox. Music has got such a big part to play in this property anyway. And there's really nice moments within it where you get to hear sort of twisted versions of the songs from the original yeah. film which sort of show the passage of time. And, uh, you know, the moment in his bedroom where he puts on, for that brief moment, mm. the the record, and you hear it, and then it snaps off again. And it's stuff like that that stays with you after you watch and the film. There's a there's a track, like, second to last track, I think it's used in the trailer as well, which is beautiful. Mm. Um, I think it's by um, Wolf Alice, or something like that. Um, it may well be. But it's, it's beautiful. Um and I've been trying to find it since, so if you know what song it is... Get in contact with Andy. Let me know. Um, the last thing I will say is, you know, the humour of the original is very, very much alive in this film. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a fantastically funny film that I was, you know, I was howling There's at. one bit in it especially that literally had the entire... Because it was quite full when we saw it. The entire place was just yeah. in bits. I think, you know, it's testament to Danny Boyle as a filmmaker that he was able to go back and... and and say, you know, with the script we have here, with the actors we have available to us, there's no reason that we shouldn't make this film. Yeah. And I believe enough time has passed that it is an interesting enough story. And John Hodge, who wrote the script, is you know, he's done a great job with it and, you know, made it interesting enough for us to go back to. 
Uh, so moving Absolutely on. Absolutely recommend it. Though. Yeah, I've got, without a doubt, it's one of the best things out at the moment. Um, moving on, let's talk about Christine. Christine. Uh, so Christine, do you want to tell the? Uh... Uh, Christine is the story of the news reporter Christine Chubbuck, who uh, back in the seventies. Um, it's fun to say what happened to her, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing. Um, it's the story of the news reporter who shot herself live on the news. Um, and it's really an, an exploration of the kind of weeks leading up to that event. And this is a real-life event that happened um, back in America. It was a Florida news station where um, this actually happened, and this the film is kind of a retelling. And it's one of those stories that it's very little heard of because... After the case and everything that happened, everything got destroyed. Yeah. It got buried, and it was tried to essentially people tried to wipe it out mm-hmm. of memory. And strange enough, it's like this year there's been two films about this situation mm. just appear. Um, and Christine is the one that stars um, Rebecca Hall. Thank you um, as the titular character, um, and is a really really strong character piece um really amazing performance by her rebecca hall i texted you straight after watching finishing watching yeah. and i said um rebecca hall is mesmerizing in this film like incredible um i couldn't stop watching just kind of real it's a real nuanced performance mm. because there's just little things that she does that really make you understand what this character's going through because what you learn is that she's not a wild woman and, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And as you get further into the film, you start to learn more and more about her. Um, and Becca Hall plays it with such sympathy. Yeah. Um, but with enough tenacity to make it, the character work. Yeah, because she's such a sort of strange character. That, that There's so many different aspects to her. That she's not this one-dimensional thing where mm. you're watching an actress just give a one-dimensional performance because they've been told, okay, so your character is this. You get given this character, and there's a lot to do. There's a yeah. lot of work in there for you to create a fully rounded portrayal of of Christine. And I think, you know, kudos to her. The film is her, mm. and and rests entirely almost on her. Yeah, there's some strong supporting supporting roles in there, but I think that none of them really get all that much to do because. They're basically sidelined yeah. by her, and th- that's not a complaint in this case because it's such a strong performance. I think. Yeah, and it, it's. I also felt it helped going in because I knew about the story because before I watched the film, I read a little blurb about it to go and see what it was about. Um, so I knew what the end was, um, and if you know the story, you know the end. And we've basically just told you what the end is. Yeah. I think that genuinely helps in this because I think if you went in without knowing where this ends the film could seem quite meandering. Yeah, the first sort of 45 minutes or so but feels a bit... Knowing what the end result is really helps you kind of question where does this kind of go? Where, how how do we get wrong? from A to B? Um, what is the journey that happens in between these points? Yeah. And what the film's really great at doing is because there's an interview with Rebecca Hall I read afterwards um, which told me that at first she didn't want to take on this role because... She didn't really like, really think anybody would want to watch something so macabre. Mm. But afterwards, when it's all about bringing the levity, like those, you have to highlight the good moments. And because you know, when you watch it, you'll realise that this character is damaged. Mm. Um, but it's those moments of levity that actually really bring out the realistic nature of this character. Definitely. If they if they weren't there and it was all on one level played down, 
you would really struggle to mm. connect. Um, and it is it is heartbreaking at times, and it, it is all down to that one performance. And I think if like it came out last year in America, and I really think Rebecca Hall should have really been even mentioned in mm. after after seeing this performance. I genuinely believe it's one of the strongest performances I've seen in a while. Um, from I was gonna say from an actress, but really from anyone. I think anyone, it's yeah. I think it's just really well done. Mm. And even if you're not overly interested in the subject matter, if you want to just watch a character study, this is perfect. It's it has its problems. Like I said, it, it does seem meandering at times. The first forty-five is slow. Um, I ended up watching this in two halves, and I said to you, when going into the second half, I was like, when I went back to watch the second half, I was like, actually, I want to see a yeah. bit more from it. But that second half blew me away. Um, and I think it it does an incredible job, and its final moments are perfect. I don't mm. know because I spoke to you about this when there's a final moment, and I kind of missed it the first time. Um, but when you get to the final moment and you realise what's happened there, I think that's it's a perfect. It's well played, yeah. It's a it's perfect not... end, and it's not. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not voyeuristic. Yeah, um, which I think is is the concern when you're telling this story is that you would make it voyeuristic, and they managed to tell it in a very um, respectful way, I think. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And for for story that you know, like I said, a lot of people don't know about. It's really interesting to see how this all came about. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that it is a true story that none of you hear about makes it actually more interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's something that over here probably didn't get anywhere near as much press as it did over mm. there anyway, because it's not a story about a UK person. You know, yeah. these things don't really translate too well. But everyone can appreciate the power of the performance, I think. I also think it's a good reflection of really the new, state of the news system now. Oh, Because yeah. it all, it's all talking about this whole idea of, and especially during the 70s, this was an idea which was the, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and I think that's basically where we are. You know, it's all sensationalist now. And it's all about, really, somebody who's not wanting to conscribe to that sensationalist view, having to do it. And that's a nice reflection of what we have now. Because, let's be honest, the new system has developed to that point where if it bleeds, it leads. You know, we've stuck to that system and, that, and it works because people do view the news for that. Yeah. Um, and it kind of makes you question whether that is correct or... You know, should we be trying to find the light in life? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I really enjoyed. I really, really enjoyed this film. I really did. I thought it was really strong, um, and like I said, mainly for that performance. Yeah, I, I would recommend it certainly. Uh, well, quickly before we finish, then I'll do Denial, uh, which came out last Friday, so fairly, uh, fairly recently. Were you about to make the same joke I made about? Uh, the Marvel coming out thing. No, no, I was going to say Denial is not a river in Egypt. Classic jokes. Okay. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Centre myself before I start again. Also, I'm probably going to edit that out. Okay. Yeah, I'll start again then. So. (laughs) Fuck me. So, Denial is the uh, real life well, based on the real-life story that happened in the late 90s um, and went on until the early 2000s. I think the uh, the verdict for the case came out in 2000. Um, and it follows uh, Deborah Lipstadt, who was, a, who was an author who uh, wrote a book in which she sort of quoted and um, d- accused... Uh, ri- uh, sorry, 
accused David Irving of being a Holocaust denier mm-hmm. because he, as a historian, had written a number of books uh, or books and in which a number of different editions changed certain facts. And essentially, he claimed that you know no one died at Auschwitz, yeah, because it wasn't a it wasn't a concentration camp. It was you know it was a prisoners' camp, but it was a, but it was not it was definitely not a gas chamber. There were <laughs> no gas chambers, and so she she's lecturing in the USA, and then he comes and says, "I I'm I've been suffering from defamation of character, essentially." And I offer a thousand, you know, he comes and says, I offer a thousand dollars to anyone who can show me an actual document that shows that the Holocaust exists, that proves that the Holocaust exists. And of course, no one has documents of it because everything, you know, there were no photos taken of these events because the Nazis were so careful about covering up what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But obviously it happened. We all know that in society, right? So... That that happens, and then she gets a phone call saying, "Right, you're being sued for defamation of character by Richard, uh, David Irvin." And the court case happens in the UK, mm-hmm. where the burden of proof is on the accused. So she has to prove that the Holocaust happened, essentially. But actually, her argument of, "Oh, well, I can easily prove that the Holocaust happened. You know, we've got survivors and stuff." It gets thrown out the window by her defence team who say, actually, what you need to do is prove that he is a liar. Mm-hmm. Because if you can prove that he is a liar, then that falsifies everything he's ever written. You know, it throws everything into disrepute. So if we can, if we can get him to admit that he has lied, mm. then that is, that is the win that we're going for here. Because you can't put the Holocaust on trial because that cheapens it. Yeah, because that opens it up to anyone else saying these things. Whereas actually, what you're doing is you're saying, "No, you are the person who has fabricated the fact mm-hmm. that this didn't exist." Uh, Rachel Weisz gives a really terrific performance as Deborah Lipstadt, but is sort of upstaged by two central performances from Tom Wilkinson, who plays her defense lawyer, and um, Timothy Spall as David Irving, who manages to make him a very sort of you know he. It would be easy to play him pantomime me mm-hmm. and make him a big villain and sort of everything about him very creepy and everything. Yeah. But actually, he plays him in a way that's a bit more three-dimensional than that and benefits the character as a result. And not not saying that you feel sympathetic towards him at any point, really. But what you feel is that this is a real person. And of mm. course, it was a real person. That's the thing that it's hard to recall, really. For anyone our age or younger, certainly, no one will remember this trial. Because, you know, it happened yeah, when yeah. we were 10. And I don't have any recollection of this. But that's good, isn't it? Because it then sort of says, well, you know, he's been wiped from the history books, essentially. Mm. Uh, I'd say it's really worth seeing if you have any interest in this sort of thing. But also, mainly for the performances, Tom Wilkinson does a really good job. And I think, again, it's similar to Christine in the sense that you have to tell the story in a very respectful manner. Yeah. Because of the, the subject matter you're dealing with. If you don't, it does seem voyeuristic. It does sort of cheapen it. They manage to tell the story correctly, I think. And for Mm -hmm. me, it stands out as one of these, you know... I didn't know anything about it going in, really. But coming out of it, I feel like I've got a real grasp of that case now and of that time and what was happening with her and him. And it's fascinating, but at the same time, very, very heartbreaking that there are people out there like him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, for me, it's a great film in the sense that the performances in it are the ones that make it. And, you know, if you want to see something that deals with this subject matter in a slightly different way than you've ever seen before, really, this is the one for it, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so real life stories this week. That's we're going to have to leave it today. As always, you can find us on Facebook and on iTunes and on Stitcher and on Buzzsprout and on Twitter. All of those places where the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast, except for Twitter, where we're Dinosaur Man 15, just to confuse you guys. <laughs> um, of course, you can rate, comment, subscribe, and review us there. We also have our Sunday episodes, which are the fun ones. So, you know, don't get turned off by the idea that we talk about the Holocaust all the time or don't know how to start a podcast for 15 minutes. I might cut that out. <laughs> As always, we'd like to thank Johnny Neves for the theme song. It is very good and is played on a guitar. Well done, you've learned instruments again. Thank you. I was going to say mandolin, but I knew it wasn't that. <laughs> I was going to say trombone. I was going to say harpsichord. <laughs> no words came out there. I don't know if you noticed no, that. No. I just got to... It looked like you were about to say something to shut me down, but actually all you did was just blow hot air. It's uh, <laughs> been lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Ooh, you can tell we're tired. Uh, until next time. Don't go and see any. Oh, right. Have a nap before your next podcast. Yeah. Don't go. Don't go into a podcast session when you say immediately beforehand, "I am so tired." <laughs> Bye, everyone. Die. Die. Die.